The word that he gave me this morning for this body is this is what he said. He said that today is the day of breaking through. And I said to him, I said, Lord, can I say this year? Because to me, it just feels better. <laughs> I know, but when you put a time frame on something, <laughs> there's an expectation. But he said, no. I have honest talks with the Lord. I do. <laughs> like Jesse said, well, what if the Lord called you to pastor a church? I told him, I would tell the Lord, I don't want to do that. He said, well, you just wouldn't do it? I said, no, I wouldn't. I would tell the Lord, I really don't want to do that. I'll do it until you can find somebody else to. And I said, what would probably happen is I would probably find out that that's what I probably was meant to do. But, <laughs> but I'm honest with the Lord. There's a genuineness to Christianity. It's the facade of Christianity when we don't approach God like a father, when we approach him as just a God. But if you don't see God as a father and you just see him as a creator, the majority of Christianity sees God as a, just a creator. And what happens when someone creates something and it doesn't work out the way that they intended to? They destroy it and start all over. Well, that's not what God did. God is a father. And even when he created his children, the children didn't turn out the way that he designed. They went after another design. He didn't destroy Adam and Eve or us and start all over. God, first and foremost, wants to be known as a father. And if you just see him as a creator, you can never know him as a father because he is the father that creates. And what he creates lives forever. I had a conversation with my dad one time. He said, well, why didn't God just destroy the devil? Why did he send him to earth? And I said, do you understand that everything God creates is eternal? He creates it with an eternal purpose. There's no just destroying the devil. The devil has to go somewhere. Hell was designed for Satan and the fallen demons. It was never designed for mankind. But because people reject Jesus, the scripture says that hell enlarges itself daily. God's will for humanity was never hell. God's will for Lucifer was never hell. Satan disconnected himself from God and he became a fallen angel. Satan is not all-powerful and he's not all-knowing. He cannot know your thoughts. All he can do is bring a suggestion to you. Your reaction to his suggestion brings about the determination of what he's going to do next. When he brings a suggestion to you, you don't even have to react. I learned something from Dan Moeller. He said that every time when the enemy brings a suggestion to your mind, and he's trying to infiltrate your heart, that you replace that with praise. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The moment the mouth speaks, the mind is quiet because it has to stop. Because you're speaking. You're actually using your motor skills, which actually take your mind to operate. That is a beautiful way to shut up the enemy in your life. Satan is a fallen angel. He's not all-powerful not at all but God is all-powerful and he's a father we see Jesus as the Lamb of God we picture him as the risen Savior but his enemies see him as a flame of fire <laughs> when they look at him they see eyes of fire do you know that he showed this image to John in Revelations 
He showed himself as a man of war, ready to defend his inheritance, which is his children. This is how he showed himself to John when John was exiled to the island of Patmos. Because Jesus wanted to paint a picture to the church that he is not just a mild lamb that was crucified and died. He said that no man takes my life from me. I lay it down freely of myself. I lay it down. He's showing John the majesty and splendor of his glory. You know how many times the scripture records the Lord of hosts? That's the captain of armies. That's the general of all the armies. God is in control of the armies of heaven. And now an army on earth that he has strategically placed in this time as sleeping giants that are just starting to wake up to the potential of the reality of the fullness of the spirit that dwells in them. This is the spirit of the father. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. And the body of Christ is starting to be vitalized through that spirit to realize that their adoption purchased them sonship into a kingdom. A kingdom that will never fade, never fail, and never pass away. And this is what the Lord says to Triumphant Grace Ministries. He says that today is the day of breaking through. And this is what he said to me. He said that as you have preached grace, the triumph that is always meant to be with it, you will see in this day. For I am going to cause you to triumph valiantly. You will be known as a body of war, declaring war and taking back what belongs to me. The lies of deception that have been embraced in my body through this body will be broken. And this body, as individual members, will bring real freedom where people have real brokenness. That this body has broken through. That as I've declared that prayers have came before me, so has your faithfulness to this message of grace. For each one of you have had plenty opportunity to retract. But instead of retracting, you've pressed in. And here you stand, undefiled, pure before my own presence. I've placed you there, and you have allowed yourself to be here. And I said, whoever comes to me, I will by no means, for any reason, in no way, cast them out. You never have to be fearful of me casting you out. For today is, is your day of breakthrough. Amen. This has been probably one of the, the roughest messages I've ever prepared for. It's really good, though, because it puts me in complete reliance upon the Holy Spirit. Which, uh, he's a master at his craft. <laughs> I'm so in love with him. I don't know where any of us would be. Because people think that God would give up on you. If God gave up on us, we would be reprobate tomorrow. Do you understand? As a born-again Christian, you can't be reprobate. Because the Scripture said that he who comes to me, I will in no wise, for no reason at all, 
cast them out. When the scripture is talking in Romans there, chapter 1, about turning them over to a reprobate mind, he's not talking about believers. He's talking about people who have rejected God and changed the image of God like unto corruptible man and worship the things that were created instead of the creator. You can never be reprobate as a Christian because God will never leave you or forsake you. It's impossible for God to leave you or forsake you. I don't care what my kids do. I will never leave them and I will never forsake them because at the moment I left them, they would remain in the way that they were. If I want them to change, then I have to be consistent in who I am even though they're not consistent in who they are. And that's where God as a father is. He's consistent in who he is, regardless of our consistency, because he doesn't change. We're going to read out of Jeremiah chapter 32, starting with verse 39. I believe this message is going to be seeing God as a father. And this is what it says, Jeremiah chapter 32, starting with verse 39. He says, And I will give them one heart, and one way. Oh, I love that. This is Jeremiah. This is the Lord speaking through Jeremiah concerning us right now. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. And listen to what verse 40 says. And I will make an everlasting covenant. I will make, I will make. He didn't say they will make. He said, I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good. It's an everlasting covenant that God made with us that he would never turn away from us and never turn away from doing us good. Amen. I love that. But I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Hold on, he's going to put something in our hearts that keeps us from departing from him? Oh, that's the Holy Spirit. Who loves that guy? I do. <laughs> that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit that allows us to have that reverence and awe for our Father. Yes, he is creator. And yes, he could destroy us. But the greatest thing is, is that creator, who had the power to destroy, decided to love. <laughs> He's a father. He's a father. That's what he wants to be known as. Amen. And now listen to verse 41. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good. You mean God actually takes pleasure in doing me good? He rejoices over us when he does good to us? That's what the scripture just said. Jeremiah is prophesying into our present. And I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. God says, I'm going to do this with everything that I am. And we find Jesus saying that no man takes my life from me. I lay it down. My whole heart, my whole soul, I lay it down. <laughs> the creator of heaven and earth who never has been, never will be created finds himself as a created being with an expiration date. Okay, God never experienced death, right? He always was, always will be. Okay, when Jesus died, the scripture says that it took the mighty power of God to raise Jesus from the dead. 
Okay? He raised him by his own mighty power, the scripture says. This is how I've seen it in my mind. When Jesus died, Jesus is God, right? When Jesus died, part of God died. That means in order for God to raise Jesus from the dead, he had to bring back to life part of him that just died. Do you understand that Jesus just didn't die a physical death? I know it's a theology, but if Jesus just would have died a physical death, then how could he be raised again back to life? And how could we be raised again with him as our spirits? Because it says that we're buried with Christ through baptism. So just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should have newness of life. If Jesus wasn't raised again spiritually, we can't be raised again spiritually. But the reality is is that when Jesus tasted death and he became sin, he became sin with our sin. The thing that killed us spiritually. Adam died spiritually in the garden that day. The thing that killed our spirit, Jesus took to it upon himself. And he became that sin. And I asked a question to God one day, well then, if Jesus became sin and he had to die a spiritual death as well, then how could he get out of that condemnation, that judgment that the sentence carried for sin? I asked God this. And all of a sudden it dawned on me, he had to have faith in the blood just like we did. The same blood that purchased us back from the dead, purchased him back from the dead. Otherwise, how could he come back? The life is in the blood, right? The body became dead because of sin. The blood didn't become dead because of sin. That blood purged his body first and foremost. That blood that was shed for us, he had to shed it for himself too. It may be a new thought, but if you become sin, what can take away that sin? Nothing but the blood. God as a father, looking at us through the heart of a father and with the heart of a father, full of compassion, to help a child. We, we have a little kid. We have a five-year-old. We have Faithy. Faithy wants to be big. You want to help Faithy. Faithy don't want your help. Faithy wants to feed herself. And what happens is she feeds the table, the chair, the carpet. She feeds everything but usually herself. <laughs> she makes a mess. But in my wisdom, through my years of experience, I understand in order to get her to a place where she's not feeding the table, the carpet, and the floor, I'm going to have to let her feed herself. And she's going to make a mess. When she makes a mess, do I get mad? Yes. Does God get mad? No. How many of us in our Christian experiences have made a mess with something that God has given us? I'll raise my hand first. I didn't want to make a mess. I really wanted to feed myself. But I ended up making a mess. But every single time, the father wasn't mad at me. And the angel next to him, he could have hit him and said, <laughs> three weeks, he's going to be feeding himself. Three weeks. Give him three weeks. 
Holy Spirit, go help him. Clean that mess up. <laughs> clean that mess up. He is a helper. Holy Spirit knows his job. He's not offended that he has to clean messes. Some people think he got the worst job in the Godhead. <laughs> the Father had to send the Son. <laughs> Jesus had to die, and now the Holy Spirit has to stay here. <laughs> But he loves his job. He loves it. The moment that he sees God birth another child in the earth that's going to live with them for eternity, he loves it. The Holy Spirit is a lover of humanity. He loves us. All the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. Amen? Okay, this is the promise that God told to Jeremiah in chapter... 33, just one chapter over. I'm going to just start at verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the second time while he was yet shut up in the court of the prison, saying, So the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and told him something. So this is a promise that God is about to give to Jeremiah. All the promises of God and Christ are yes and amen. Thus saith the Lord, the maker thereof, the Lord that formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. Verse 3. Call unto me, and I will answer you, and show you great and mighty things which you have not known. According to the scripture, we can call upon God, and just because we called unto him, this promises that he will show you great and mighty things which you haven't known. I laid this out in the middle of my living room floor this week. And I got on my face and I said, Lord, this is what you said. You said, if I call unto you, you'll show me things that I don't know. Why would he do that? Because he's a father and he delights in giving wisdom, understanding, knowledge, revelation to his children. You know, there's nothing more precious than heaven and there's nothing more precious than in earth than God's children. You know, the scripture says that God is going to destroy the earth and the heavens right now, and then there will be a new earth and a new heavens. John's seen it at the end of Revelations. He said, I looked and beheld a new earth and a new heaven. An earth that has never seen sin. Why? Why would God make an earth that never seen sin for people who have? Because you haven't. That one sacrifice purged you from sinner to saint. There is no mark of sin in you right now. If you feel like there's a mark in you of sin, you haven't been looking at the sun. Because in the sun there is no sin. And here we are in the sun. People call the grace message hyper-grace. Hyper grace? What is hyper grace? It's like saying too much love. It's like saying not enough hate. Hyper grace. That's all I know. That's all I know is grace. We have become the examples of Christianity. Preachers, pastors, evangelists, anyone who stands behind a pulpit, we have become the example of Christianity. So people look to us for perfection. And over the years, Christianity has made its leaders the example of what perfection looks like. 
And it's so deceiving because I'm not supposed to point you to me. I'm supposed to point you to him, the object of perfection. So when a leader or a minister or someone who's in leadership makes a bad choice, all of a sudden they're marked with that choice because they were supposed to be the object of perfection because religion has taught us to look at them. The minister needs Jesus just as much as the everyday Christian. We need grace the same way. If perfection was a qualifier in order to be in ministry, I'm absolutely disqualified. And so is everybody I know. (laughs) Some of us are living better than others, but I mean, still, we're, we're not perfect. You can catch us in a bad moment. Do I want you to? No. No, I don't want you to. I don't want anybody to catch me in a bad moment. And I don't want to have bad moments or bad days. I want it to be when I go somewhere and the devil says, we just got news that Steve Maya is coming here. And they come to look for me and all they find is Jesus. That's what I want. That's what I want. Why? Because that's what the Father wants to give me. He demonstrated it by giving us Jesus. Jesus wanted us to have it. He demonstrated it by laying his life down. The Holy Spirit demonstrated his commitment level to us. He's here on earth right now. This is his full-time job, helping us. I want to read out of uh, Psalms 139. I love David in the Old Testament because David paints the clearest picture as seeing God as more than just God. I mean, he eats the showbread. Okay, you're not supposed to do that. This man puts on a linen ephod. You're not supposed to do that. He commits adultery and has somebody's husband's killed. He don't even ask God to forgive him, and God says you're forgiven. No animal sacrifice, nothing. I've already forgiven you. I don't understand that. I don't understand how... God can reach into the future, something for our time and our covenant, and apply it to David. But David seen something about God that wasn't yet shown. That God wasn't just a creator, he was a father. (laughs) And when you see God as a father, he can reach into the future and give it to you now because you're living in a different covenant. Just happened to be in the wrong day. This is David, Psalms 139. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and you know when I rise up. You understand all my thoughts. You compass my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. That's a serious level of intimacy that David is explaining about God. And David sees his self like this. He's not writing about somebody else. He's actually writing about his own personal experience and how he perceives God. And listen to what he says. For there is not a word on my tongue. Behold, Lord, you know it all together. You have beset me behind and before. You've encompassed me and you laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot obtain unto it. And then listen to what he says here. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If 
I ascend up into heaven, you are there. Listen to this next verse. This is what I want to draw out. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. He had a covenant with God, right? He's describing an intimate relationship with God. He said, if I, if I make my bed in hell, that means I'm trying to go to hell. I'm making my bed there. He said, even there, you'll find me. When I'm trying to go to hell, you're going to be right there. (laughs) I did my best to get there. (laughs) I did. I rejected God. I did anything I wanted to, anything that was good to Steve. That's what Steve did. But I was trying to make my bed in hell. I found God was there. Amen. I was trying to do that. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, if I take a 757 and fly over the mid-Atlantic, <laughs> or if I jump in a boat and run from your will, <laughs> listen to what he says, even there shall your hand lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Okay, this is where it's getting a little prophetic. What is at God's right hand? Who is at God's right hand? Jesus. Your right hand shall hold me. The right hand is also a picture of strength. And it says David is the one who wrote that at your right hand is pleasures evermore. I don't think he understood the significance of what he was saying. I believe he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it. And here we, looking back, see the picture of what that actually is and what it's portraying. At your right hand, pleasures evermore, Jesus. Jesus. Right there at his right hand. Pleasures. Pleasures evermore. (laughs) Amen. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, Surely my own sin, my own personal darkness shall cover me. This is what he says. Even night shall be light about me. You wouldn't let me cover myself in darkness. You turned it into light. (laughs) That's amazing, ain't it? Yea, the darkness cannot hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. How can that be? Your spirit is saved. Your body is not. If you tried to hide yourself in darkness through the sin of the flesh, the darkness becomes light because of the spirit. That means that sin cannot stay in our bodies. Why? because they're both alike. And when we're raised, we're not just going to have a spirit. We're going to have new bodies, the scripture says. That means that that sin that was in that old body, it stays here. (laughs) You know that death is the last enemy to be put under our feet? And when people die, we do get sad. But they just defeated the last enemy that ever has to be defeated. They have defeated it. That enemy still stands in our way. They've already defeated it. But you know what? 
we've already defeated. The moment that we put our trust in Jesus, death lost its sting and the grave lost its power. The darkness hides not from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. I still trying to wrap my head around that. This is David trying to hide himself in darkness, and he says the darkness and the light are both alike to you. Why? We know that darkness and light can exist, but David in this is literally showing us a picture of something. He's showing us a picture because the darkness couldn't take the sun. The darkness can't take the daughter. Why? Because he who's joined to the Lord is one with the Lord. You're one with the Lord. Can you defile God? No. Can you defile your spirit? No. Can you defile your body? Yes. You can defile your body. But does your spirit become defiled? No. What's going to change the defilement? Releasing what's inside the spirit. Because the darkness and the light, they're both alike. Because light conquers darkness every single time. Every single time. It's working out our salvation, what took place in our spirit. Because darkness cannot overpower the light. And we are one with God. We always stand in the presence of the Father. I don't know if we fully grasp that because I really don't. But to have the knowledge that I am always in the presence of the Father. Okay, I'm in the presence of the Father. He leads me beside still waters, green pastures. He prepares the table in the presence of my enemies. So my enemies are always present, but my Father is always present. Now, if I know that my Father has already beat up my enemy and then gave me the same weapons. Am I going to be scared to sit down and eat at the table though the enemy's there, but I'm standing in the presence of my father? No. The enemy's already defeated. So it, it doesn't matter that the enemy's there. The reality is, is that your father's there. So even if you tried to send yourself to hell, maybe you didn't, but the majority of us did. When I send, I like sin. I live for sin. That's what sinners do. They live for sin. When I tried to hide myself in darkness, I found, I found the darkness become light around me. Listen to what he says. For you have possessed my reins. You have covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows right well. My substance was not hid from you when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lower parts of the earth. Your eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in your book, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. 
this is a very, very strong portion of Scripture. He goes on to talk about your eyes seeing my substance, yet being unperfect. Your eyes seeing my substance, what I will be, yet being unperfect. Yes. God seeing where we are when we yet were unperfected in Christ. And do you know that he sees where you will be? We haven't reached perfection yet. The word of prophecy, I honestly believe, is one of the greatest and strongest things that we have in the body of Christ. They all work together, but there's something about prophecy. God called me out of a crowd, said that I would reach a lot of people for the Lord, the Lord would build a family around me, they would love me, together we would run, and he would take me into my destiny. I was sleeping with a married woman at the time. What did prophecy do? It gave me a picture of somewhere that I wasn't. He's seen me, yet being unperfect. He's seen this day all those years ago. And here I am standing with Mark. We lost touch for around 10 years, except just seeing each other. He sent me a text and said he was going to be preaching, and then they were going to start this church. And I told Heather, let's go here and preach. I said, I had clean toilets in his ministry. It wasn't even about doing ministry. I'd been out of ministry for three years myself. Heather stepped out of the children's church thing. Two weeks previous, we were looking at other churches to start going to. We had been at that church for three years. Mark preached a message the right moment of time that night when we went and heard him. And it was the right moment of time. That was almost four years ago. What happened? He's seen me yet being unperfect. The word of prophecy, when it's given, it's for building up. It's for edification. If someone speaks a word to you from the Father that doesn't sound like a father, they're speaking from seeing God as a creator. Reject that. Don't embrace that. That's why the scripture says to prove all things. (laughs) Despise not prophesying. (laughs) That's why Val could stand up and say, I prove both of those and they're both from the Lord. Because you're supposed to. (laughs) You are. Your eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in your book, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Oh, I love that. How precious also are your thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. This is David about to give an account of God's thoughts concerning him. Listen to what he says. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. David said that when God thinks about him, they're innumerable. They're more in number than the sand on the seashore. And Jeremiah lets us know that those thoughts are good and not of evil. Because in that day he will make an everlasting covenant with them to do them good unto them and their children. God's thoughts for you outnumber the sand that is on the seashore. He's took the time to number the hairs that are on your head. He knows how many you lost. And like Lauren, I'm expecting to get some back. (laughs) That's right, Lauren. 
We're expecting. My hairline used to be here. <laughs> it's not there no more. <laughs> yeah, but the Lord, the Lord is faithful. And he's never seen us where we're at. As a father, you always make preparations to put your children in better positions. As the father, the Lord of all the earth, he is making preparations for you right now to make your future better. And the Lord said to us, and I believe it was the Lord, that today is the day of breaking through that we will see the triumphantness that comes from grace today. We will. We all will walk in more clarity, in more understanding, in a deeper awareness of who God is. I like preaching, but when I used to preach, I used to think preaching was like some kind of qualification. So if God used me, man, I was, I was pumped up. You know, God used me. It's a mark of approval. You know, it used to be so exciting to me for God to use me in a service. You want to know what's exciting to me? When nobody's around and God will come and speak to me for me, not for you. That's what motivates me nowadays. That God will come and speak with me. Just me. Not for anybody else, just me. Oh, it's beautiful. That's the relationship that he wants with every single born-again believer. That's why Jesus would say numerous times, him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Because though everybody had natural ears, not everybody had spiritual ones. And even if they did, usually their spiritual antenna wasn't pointed or their receivers weren't pointed to the Lord. They were pointed to God as God. Let's not even write his name. The actual right pronunciation of it has disappeared because he's God. That's why when Jesus shows up saying, my father, your father, they were so mad they wanted to kill him. And Jesus goes on to tell them, they said Abraham's our father. And Jesus said, no, you're children of the devil. Your father's the devil. <laughs> they wanted to kill Jesus. Why? Because he said that God was his father. And in so doing, he made himself equal with God. What does that mean? Did Jesus make himself equal with God? Did you make yourself equal with God? God made us equal with him. Why? Because he loves us. Because we're not angels, we're children. Satan got kicked out of heaven. You notice that nobody's coming to die for Satan? Why? He disobeyed God. He rebelled against God. Why? You heard me say it before, because angels aren't children and children aren't angels. I hate the saying. I mean, I hate it with a passion that, well, God needed another angel. I heard it tons of times this last week. It makes me so mad. I don't get mad towards people. But just that mind state of God did this. And I was telling Mariana's dad, Bobby, my cousin Bobby, that very important that, that we understand that God didn't take Mariana, that God received her. There's a big difference. I was sitting there meditating, and I told him the Holy Spirit, he said to me, he said that God knows what it's like to lose a child. His son died so that our children can live. And there's coming a point in time 
where death, the last enemy, will be put under our feet and we will never say goodbye to somebody again, ever. The scripture says to comfort each other with these words. Does it feel real comforting in the time? No. Like I was telling my cousin Jamie, you know, people want to comfort and it's like words fail, but love doesn't. And just the presence of somebody being there with you during a trying time, it means the world. Just someone wrapping their arms around you and not saying anything. It just, it just means the world. It does. And you know what's even more confounding to me is that who was going to comfort God when his child died? Was God depressed? No. Was God in mourning? I don't know. We don't have a high priest that can't be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Does the Father ever cry? says that when, when we get to heaven, he'll wipe away every tear. When we get there, in heaven, have they shed tears in heaven? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I imagine they have. Well, you know, after the resurrection of Jesus, you know those tears aren't in sorrow. Those tears are in joy. They are. God is a good Father. How precious also are your thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Surely you will slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloody men. Okay, I just want to share something with you. Okay, anytime you're reading in Psalms and David takes a sharp turn and saying, God, destroy these wicked people, or we are evildoers, remember that our war is not flesh and blood. So anytime you ever see this in the scripture, take it as a prophetic utterance to you, specifically dealing with the enemies that are trying to come against you. You know that we only have one enemy. The enemy has a lot of children, but we only have one enemy. So when we read the Psalms, I take promises from the Psalms where God's talking about, I'll avenge you of your enemies, and I apply that to the devil. Because the scripture does say if the thief is caught, he must repay seven times that which he stole. The moment you catch the thief in your life, you have a promise of receiving sevenfold of that which was stolen, according to the word of God. And I know all of us have been stole from in one part or another, some capacity. Surely thou shalt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly and your enemies take your name in vain do not i hate them O lord that hate you am i not grieved with those that rise up against you this is our stance when it comes to the enemy don't i hate those that hate you okay there's only one influential spirit in the world that is turning the hearts of men and it's not the heart of man it's the person satan that's behind, it's behind it. He's the one who's actually influencing people's hearts. And we hate him with a perfect hatred. My buddy used to say, I wouldn't say hate, you're not supposed to hate anything. I don't know who in the world told you that. (laughs) It's found in scripture. We don't hate people. There's a lot of things I hate. 
I hate the devil with a perfect hatred. He's not only God's enemy, he's mine. I'm opposed to everything he is. I really do want to spend the rest of my life pulling down everything he built. That means 50 years he's working on a man for 50 years to get him to the point where he's running around naked in graveyard, chains with chains that wouldn't even keep because he would break them. And in one moment, Jesus enters in and 30, 40 years of bondage to this man is broke just like that. That's what I said earlier. When I go to somewhere, the devil says, well, we heard Steve Myers coming here next week, and then they come to try to stop me or to do something, and all they see is Jesus. They might be able to do something with Steve. They, can't, they don't know how to handle Jesus. They actually said, Paul I know, and Jesus I know, but who are you? They had a knowledge of Paul, but every time they went to see Paul, they found Jesus. <laughs> they didn't want to see Jesus. <laughs> He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. I pray that because of the next verse. I don't care if I have something that's not right in there. I want God to search me and try me. And he says, and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search my heart, search my mind, know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in there and lead me in the way of everlasting. David's saying, if there is, don't let me stay there. (laughs) Lead me into life. Amen. God is good. He is a Father. I love you guys. We love you guys. It's a blessing to be here. It really is. Your leaders here, Mark and Val, they're amazing. They are so amazing. Uh, I was telling Mark that there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and uh, he's been that. He's been that for me. I wouldn't be where I am now if, if, it, if it wasn't for him. Uh, there's some people that just get around you and they just pull the Jesus out so everybody else can see him. They do. And I was telling my cousin Jesse that, you know, when we first started here, I didn't really have that relationship with Val, but Val, you're amazing. You are. You listen to the Holy Spirit, and I love you like I love him. I really do. Me and Heather both do. I just have such a admiration for you guys, for the work that you've done in the Lord. Uh, the Lord has set you for signs to the body and to other people. And uh, man, I could honor you and honor you guys. I don't ever want it to become a formality because it's not. It's not a formality. I want to honor you guys because you guys. You wouldn't esteem yourself worthy of honor, but God does. And he says to honor those who have labored in the word. And uh, you guys have spent decades now laboring in the word and part of many churches. You're through. Everybody can see it. Uh, And actually, we've been picking from it and eating it. God is so pleased with you guys. I can feel the pleasure of the Lord. He, He delights over you guys. You guys are good shepherds. Very good shepherds. And uh, we're honored and privileged to be be leaders with you, but also to be shepherded by you. I think I've grown as much as anybody since I've been here. This word of that, that we preach, it's miraculous in origin and nature. It's transforming. It really does transcend all laws. 
Nothing can keep us bound when we understand grace. It's the liberating factor of the Christian life. <laughs> it's what it takes to get free, to stay free. Oh, God, we just thank you. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you are the one that makes all things new. I thank you that you formed and fashioned us. David said that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And so we find ourselves that same way. We find that we can't hide from your presence, that your covenant is everlasting, and that it's a, a covenant to be good to us, that you rejoice over just being good to us. I thank you, Father, that you are a good Father, that the number of our days are held in your hand and that we'll live out the fullness of that. Today is a day of breakthrough. And that as each one of us go about our day today, Father, that you would begin to manifest yourself to us in stronger ways. That you would visit us in the night seasons. That you would speak to us, Lord God, in our spirits throughout the day. That we really could have communion with you. That you would strike up conversations with us at times where we weren't expecting it. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. I bless this body and I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.